Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I'm back. I'm your host today. And we are recording on the Monday afternoon, just under 24 hours after Manchester United defeated Leicester City 3-0 at Old Trafford in the Premier League. Now, my two brilliant colleagues were both in the press box at the game. Samuel Luckhurst and Rich Fee are present with me today. Samuel, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you, Stephen? Good man, I've had a good weekend, thank you very much. I was off for a few days for my birthday and nothing much happened, did it across the three days, Rich, from Friday to Sunday. There was no stories involved in Manchester United. Yeah, it was a nice, uh, quiet one, wasn't it, for you to, to have off, so very jealous of, of that. And of course, happy birthday as well, Stephen. Uh, 18 are you now, 19? Can can you sing happy birthday for us, Rich, please? Can you sing, sing it for us? Do you want to sing odd, actually, which is completely unrelated? When I interviewed Noel Edmonds at university... He insisted that I, I wished him happy birthday, even though it wasn't his birthday. That is bizarre. That is bizarre. Real, real odd man. Real odd man. And I can't confirm it was my 19th birthday, Rich. Hopefully, my bus pass will expire soon. I'm just, I'm just joking, obviously. Um, Samuel, the game, 3-0. Uh, it is an overused cliche, but I think it was probably a game of two halves. I feel almost sick saying that. But yeah, Leicester came out the blocks very quick. They looked very impressive over the first 25 minutes, didn't they? They here produced two fantastic saves and then Rashford got the goal. Second half, United put the result beyond doubt. But I feel it was another game where we're just going to sit here and praise Ten Hag for the changes that he made. We've done that quite often this season, haven't we? And it was another kind of genius game from him in that regard. The first half performance, he said himself, it was rubbish. And when when you're in a position of, of writing about a game, you wouldn't describe it as rubbish because it just seems a bit too basic, but it, it was a, an apt description. Uh, United were so disjointed, particularly in defence. Uh, I, I didn't understand what they were playing at, and, and Ten Hag was, was looking at them as if to ask, what are you playing at as well? The the back line was the shape of a zigzag at times. It, it seemed like Luke Shaw was caught up too high up the pitch the midfielders were caught between two stools it felt like Leicester breached them time and again the, the scoreline at half time was a travesty the, the difference when United uh, when, when Leicester got in behind United was they were faced by the wall of David De Gea when United breached Leicester uh, they, they were faced by Danny Ward who is pretty much made of plaster if you shoot at him the ball is likely to go through him and he, he was he's partly responsible for Rashford's brilliant form because it was those two goals in the World Cup that have sparked this goal glut from him and he was he was pretty porous for both of Rashford's goals yesterday but the, the key change was was Sancho coming on and I think because United were 1-0 up at half time most probably suspected that Ten Hag would keep things the way they were but he, he made the right call because they couldn't continue the way they were playing Garnacho was, was on the periphery I, I'm not quite sure whether he's had a, a really good performance as a, as a as a Premier League starter yet for United. Obviously, he, he scored um, as a starter against Real Sociedad, but in the league, it's been a different matter altogether. And it wasn't necessarily the obvious substitution, but I think we all felt that if there was going to be a change, it would be Garnacho coming off. And Sanjo was terrific. And again, I mean, Roger, sorry, uh, Ch- Chavi tried to second guess Ten Hag in midweek uh, by moving Aruko to, uh, to to right back and bringing Marcus Alonso in at centre back, and then every United attacker seemed to start in a position nobody thought they would start in. Rogers, for a period of time, did have Ten Hag's number, but as soon as there was a bit of tactical innovation from United, and that was not just bringing Sancho one, but playing him as a ten, keeping Fernandez out on the right, 
that's where United started to exploit Leicester. And the in the first half, they played better in the first five minutes of the second half than they did in the entirety of the first half. And the whole overall second half performance was was excellent. In the end, they should have won by uh, a greater margin. But going into that game, any United fan would have taken a three nil home win against Leicester, given how Leicester have been performing recently. They've they've had a couple of good results. They've been in uh, quite rampant form in front of goal as well. So it was it was an ideal win, but it didn't feel like that. Certainly at half time, that United would be a bit in a position where they could make wholesale changes after the hour with with the game boxed off. A comfortable win in the end, obviously, Rich, and we'll talk about the, the two goal scorers, Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho. Now, that was Rashford's 24th goal of the season, which makes it his best season of his career. I feel like we're running out of superlatives from this season. We just keep on praising the man's ten hard, to be fair, but Rashford has been genuinely sensational. So, can you kind of do? You, do you think he's nearing into world-class territory now, Rashford? Because although he does need to sustain that form, he has been brilliant. But also, if you look at Sancho as well, if I, I add another question there, he was superb as an attacking midfielder, wasn't he? And it, it almost feels like his qualities, they quite they quite suit that position, don't it? So what what did you think of Rashford? Is he borderlining into world-class? And fantastic to see Sancho again scoring, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it's, we're like a broken record on this podcast because United's the uh, same old story every week, aren't they? There's still some some issues, but they miss Casemiro. Rashford's scoring goals for fun. De Gea's making good saves. Rashford's, I, I, I wouldn't even say, well, uh, sort of world-class status. I mean, he's beyond that. I mean, who, who is in form as much as Rashford in the world right now? If you're going to base it on that, he would get into any team. And at the moment, he's doing it at the top end of the Premier League. He's scored every single game. His, his record since the World Cup is absolutely obscene. And even the games where he's not scoring goals, which is very few, he's he's being directly involved in the goals anyway. So I think he is world-class, absolutely world-class, because every team in world football would benefit from having given the starting lineup right now. I really don't think there is a case for him not to start for, for anyone, but he just looks like he'll score. And it's, it's down to confidence, really. And just the way he took the goals yesterday... First of all, he gets one one on one, and Garnacho is there ready for tapping. But Rashford, as he, as Samuel said, he's got Danny Ward's number, and he just smashed it beyond him in, in the goal, made it look so effortless. Same with the second one as well. As well, it wasn't maybe the tidiest finish, but there's just never any doubt that he's got to put it into the back of the net, and that is what a world class striker does. So Rashford is world class by by that definition. Sancho, I thought his link up play was brilliant again, and I think that's what he benefits from. It was for his goal. He plays two one-twos. He has a give-and-go of Rashford, has a give-and-go with Bruno Fernandes. And he just likes that. Those quick interchanges. And in the middle of the park, he can do that. He can get on the ball a lot, uh, move it on quickly, get the ball back in the central area. And he's got the ability to go either way. And, you know, he is a right winger by trade, but his best football for United's come on the left, really. And when you play for the middle, it gives him the option. He can either cut inside onto his right foot or he can go out to his left. And... He just has that variety there, and he's he's pretty unpredictable when he plays as the the number ten. So I think when the substitution happened, we were all expecting to to have him go to the right. United would sort of go a bit more traditional with their approach, but Samuel Lydon noticed immediately. Bruno Fernandes hadn't shifted from the right wing, and Sancho relished that. He just he tormented the the Leicester defence, and yeah, he he was just such a joy to watch as well because he's got the love for football back. He's got the confidence back. They're both huge sort of successes of Ted Hogg's man management style. And yeah, you just do wonder just where the ceiling is for both of them now because if they can stop playing well and ticking properly, United have two-thirds there of a world-class front three. 
Obviously, it's difficult to maintain this level of form, but what is so encouraging for United fans will be the fact that, yes, Ten Hag's summer signings have mostly been brilliant, but it's the players he's improved who are already at the club, and I think Sunday was an epitome of that, especially in the second half. What do you think Rashford has for breakfast, Rich? Because I need it's, some. It is difficult, is isn't it? Yeah. Wheat of Man, or Cocoa Puff, Rice Krispies, what do you reckon? Porridge? I mean, what are you having for breakfast? I, I have uh, usually a Carabao, a Carabao energy drink, um, followed by a Mars bar. <laughs> If we just move on now then, we'll look, uh, Bruno Fernandes obviously got two assists and I think if you look at both of your post-match analysis, I think you both mentioned uh, Fernandes' role this season. Obviously, he's kind of been a de facto captain with Harry Maguire spending the majority of his time on the bench. Um, Samuel, we, we discussed it a lot last season and we kind of talked about who would be the next captain and I think we all kind of agreed Fernandes would be the perfect candidate. However, we talked about his petulance, maybe his attitude at times on the pitch, but that's those kind of concerns have seemed to have gone this season, haven't they? They seem to have disappeared, and it seems like a, an almost a certainty to be named official captain if Maguire leaves the club. Yeah, uh, certainty is, is the word there. The issue last season was that he wasn't playing well, and if you're not playing well and your leadership, although he's always had that potential, if it's not the right kind of leadership, it's, it's going to be difficult to command respect there. This season has been different. His his numbers are not as good as in his first 18 months at United, but he's a better player now and he's playing better football. Uh, again, a lot of people fixate on numbers and you can always skew a stat, but I think his contributions this season have been a lot more impressive than they were in those first 18 months when the numbers were off the charts at times, particularly for a player who'd come from a league where one of the reservations about Fernandes was that could he could he hack it in the Premier League? And w- what's really impressive about him is that he's had quite a few stints on the right now and he's never inhibited by it. He will always do something um, from, from a different area or from that area that's going to have an impact on the game, whether it is creating a chance, whether it is scoring a goal whether it is moving in field to get into that uh, that area. I think against City, he had a stint on the right. He obviously popped up with a goal from the middle. Against Barcelona last week, he, again, he's starting on the right. He creates a pretty decent chance within 20 seconds, and he certainly came up with um, the pass of, of the first half for, for, for the Weghorst one-on-one as well. His, his mentality is is perfect. Uh, it's difficult to think of many footballers who who share that that mentality and that although there'll be games where he can be frustrating or he won't be performing the way he conducts himself is is a dream for a manager and I remember writing that last season in terms of the players that Ten Hag was likely to inherit how although Fernandes hadn't played well you had to dwell on the positive there and the positive was that he had the right mentality and you could see that um Ten Hag would would get something out of that and I think Fernandes has in his whole time at United he's missed one game through injury or illness and it was it was illness it was getting to Tottenham last season when when Ronaldo scored a hat trick so he's not actually missed a game yet for United through through injury and you look at some of the other players who've um who've been injury prone or uh they they break down at any opportunity and again I, I don't think that's that's all necessarily physical I think you've got to have the right um the, the right mental uh, outlook on these things and, and be in the right headspace to to get through such a grueling period. He he told us the other week after they they beat Forest in the League Cup. Um, a few when a few of us spoke in, to him in the tunnel, he says he, he's not happy when he comes off in a game. He wants to play ninety minutes twice a week, 
and he's got the engine to do that and that there have possibly been times where he has looked like he's been running to the ground a little bit but I'm going back to that 2020-21 season I think it was him Rashford and Wan-Bissaka they were in was it like the top five players in Europe for most minutes played and it certainly took its toll on Rashford who's carrying an injury Wan-Bissaka's form wasn't particularly good that season and, and Fernandez could have peaks and troughs in terms of his performance level but he was still coming up with the goods and certainly in pre-season he did bristle a little bit when he, he misheard a question I asked him in, in uh, Melbourne I, I he thought I said I uh, would you weaken your game I said tweak your game um, but there was certainly a, a, a bit of a debate as to whether he would fit be aligned with Ten Hag style um, from from how he saw things and I think Ten Hag certainly trialled Donny van der Beek there very unsuccessfully in November just to see what it would be like, what United would look like with a different number 10 there. But Fernandes is undroppable. There's, there's no, there are no two ways about it. As I said to Rich yesterday, I was saying, is he a 7 or an 8? And Rich said he's an 8. And when you think about it, he created two goals. He should have had a, another assist for Diogo Dallo's goal. He's doing all that whilst playing out of position and and leading uh, a resurgent United who are in very, very good form at the moment. If we stick with the breakfast theme, Samuel, what you're probably seeing is Anthony Martial needs to copy what Fernandes is having for breakfast, doesn't he? <laughs> with all those bloody injuries, he's, he's always on the treatment table. Yeah, he could probably do with uh, some Weetabix or some porridge, certainly something that's going to toughen him up, whatever the weather. Or some Carabao, as, as we've said, or some Carabao, that might help him. This is pre-advertising, this for Carabao. <laughs> It's been a fantastic year leading up to the match. That's all of in the preview. We'll get more of it in on uh, on the Friday podcast, Samuel, no doubt. But uh, what workhorse, Rich, you did your kind of uh, lunch piece around him today and he, he's played in the number 10 position, which when it first happened at Leeds, I can imagine Ty and Samuel probably sat there, looked at each other and thought, what, what are we watching? We did. Because <laughs> everyone's eyebrows were kind of raised. Could, we couldn't believe it, could we? He's actually been quite effective, hasn't he, Rich? Look, he's not the most talented. He's clearly a limited player. But he, he works his socks off and, and Tenor clearly appreciates what he gives in that role. And it's not going to be a long-term answer, but he's definitely just a stopgap, isn't he, until the end of the season? Absolutely. And he needs to firstly not be judged as United's solution up front because there's a very limited pool of players they could have got in January. You're not going to be able to buy someone who's sort of in form anyway of scoring goals for fun because why would a team sell him? And if they're going to sell him, they're going to command it inflated fee which United just didn't have to spend you know they already are further ahead in their rebuild than they envisaged being at this stage so money you know is at a premium and they didn't have that to spend so Regos comes in he's also maybe compared to the strikers who he's replacing Martial and Ronaldo who okay didn't score many goals United this season or haven't in case of Martial but are at least sort of known as goal scorers that's that's where they've made their, their reputation and you know Veghorst has at least sort of managed to keep up with their low goal scoring sort of output but he he's more consistent in what you get from him in the final third and that's the big difference it says a lot that Ten Hag has stuck by him even though he's had this this goal drought he's only scored that that one and you know he he couldn't hit a bar, uh, a barn door yesterday he really was poor in front of goal but he was offering so much more and he reminds me of when Giroud was at the 2018 World Cup of France and he was getting so much hate but Giroud's role was to facilitate Kylian Mbappe, who, you know, leads him to glory. And Veghorst's presence means that Rashford can get the ball in the central areas more. It means that defenders have been dragged out of position. It means that they've got someone else to focus on. 
So Vegor's role, yes, he wanted to be scoring more, but his actual contribution to the team is more than that. And obviously it has to be more than no goals because you can't get lower than that. But even yesterday, he was he won a couple of headers, which is an improvement from the game against Barcelona. You only have to look at him. You don't have to get into sort of hipster stats of how many high presses he triggered or activated or all that. Just watch him. He runs his socks off. He slides into tackles. He puts himself about. And that's what Ten Hag wants. He wants someone who has that work rate, who has that tenacity. And yeah, he's not the most talented United player, but he tries hard. And I know you can go down the passion merchant sort of route, but he was just tormenting. He was a pest to that uh, Leicester defence because they had to put players on him because he is such a threat. He's a physical outball for United. But you look at the second goal, he drags Harry Suter out of position. Fred puts the ball in behind him. Rashford beats the outside trap and scores. The third goal, if you watch it back, Veghorst makes a diagonal run down the left wing, brings two defenders with him, opens up acres of space. Rashford and Sancho play it down that wing. United cause the overlap. They score a goal. So Veghorst obviously will, to a degree, always be judged on his goals and his assists. Those are the metrics of any striker. But for now, as a short-term solution... He's fine. He's absolutely fine. And again, you know, Ten Hag is the man who's made, who's paid to make these big decisions. He's got most of the big decisions right in that this season, and it says a lot that he is still sticking by their course up front. Yes, he's not the most talented, but right now, he's the only one available. Really, they've got, and he's doing a good job of it. You know, he's not long-term solution. He doesn't have to be. And yeah, I think he just maybe needs a bit more respect on his overall game. But he certainly is poor in front of goal and. That might come with a more confidence. He might have a game where he gets two or three if the ball just falls that way and, you know, he can, he can be off then. But for now, you're not going to get anyone better. So you've got to learn to live with him, really. Just for a bit of fun then, Rich, who would you rather have up front? A Weghorst or a Garlow? If we look at short-term January signings, who would you pick? Oh, God, that's tough. I mean, myself and Samuel were saying yesterday that probably rather have Fellaini the both for them because... He's more physical, he plays everywhere, he puts himself about. Get a few more goals. He would, yeah. I think Veghorst offers more to a team. Again, I'm not saying he's a better striker and goal scorer, but he offers more to the team than Nagalo did. I can see that. That definitely has merit. Someone who has offered a ton to this team, Samuel, over the last decade, look at that segue, that's why I got paid the big bucks, is David De Gea. And obviously, another clean sheet, some fantastic saves, draws level with Peter Schmeichel on 180 clean sheets for, for Manchester United. Now, can you put into words uh, just what that achievement is, really? Because his consistency over the years, obviously, there's always been doubts about the ball at his feet, and then, you know, they still remain, really. But he's an outstanding shot stopper, isn't he? And he's world class on his day. In terms of keeping the ball out of the net he he has been one of the best for 10 10 years 11 years maybe I think the turning point for him people always look at it as that um that that Chelsea game in I think it was February 2012 when he made the save for, for Mata and from that point on he did have a very good run in uh to that season but the next season there were still some setbacks it's easily forgotten that he was actually dropped for the third game of that that season quite harshly as well I thought by by um, Sir Alex Ferguson he, he, he was culpable I think for a Fulham goal and all of a sudden he was out of the team uh, the next week for, for Anders Lindegaard but for a good 10 years now the majority of that he, he has been world class I think between 2014 and 2018 he was the best keeper in the world um, I'm, I'm sure people will you know I mean Man, Manuel Neuer has, has plenty of aficionados and, and he's been a, a, a phenomenal keeper as well and 
uh, is, is certainly likes to get more involved on the ball, shall we say, outside his area in particular. But when it comes to shot stopping, uh, De Gea has defied belief so many times. Um, probably more than Schmeichel growing up watching him. And Schmeichel was obviously, he is still the, the greatest keeper in United's history for the teams he played in and the honours he won uh, eight years. And they they won, was it six, sorry, five five titles, I think, and two doubles in that period and a treble. It's, it's an obscene honours role. And even in the seasons where they didn't win the league, they came damn close to it a couple of times. But I, it's still, I think, as as much as goalkeeping has changed, the the quality of De Gea's saves are sometimes they are on a different level, even to you know, as I said, eras from 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 yesteryear in in, in Jamaica's time, and it's, I mean, those saves yesterday, I, I'd say both of them are worthy of putting in the the ultimate you know collection of of, of the highlights reel of, of De Gea's time at United, but it would appear it would be a long video to watch because there have been so many. And he has been worked a hell of a lot more than Schmeichel. Obviously, his, his longevity is greater than Schmeichel's, but he has been a busy keeper because United have been a poorer team, uh, by and large, for, for most of his time at the club. And it's yeah, it's it's a it's still a pretty fascinating sliding doors moment, what happened on deadline day in 2015 and the fax machine. And then a, less than two weeks later, he's signing a new contract for United and... His his future's never really appeared in great doubt since then. Uh, there have been a couple of occasions where it's it's coming towards the end of his contract, or um, there's there's still certainly in his second season he as 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 warm as he is towards Louis Van Gaal now he was not feeling much warmth towards Louis Van Gaal uh, towards the end of his time as manager of Manchester United, but. Jose Mourinho secured his future, and as said, he's he's not been a keeper who's, who's who's been in demand in recent years. And I think that's why United are quite relaxed about his contract situation. And it's also easy to forget that as dreadful as last season was, De Gea was, was actually very good and he, he won the Players Player of the Year. And that's the reason primarily why he's he's starting this season. It, it would have caused, you know, it probably would have caused too many ructions and um, it might have been a bit too unstable for United if, if Ten Hag had, had changed the goalkeeper, even though... People uh, and I, I, w- I wouldn't have blamed him if he had done. I think there was a case to do it. I think um, it would be interesting to see what what does happen with De Gea over the next uh, six six to eighteen months, given his contract situation. Uh, but he has he's been a phenomenal player for United, and there have been a couple of games this season. Uh, last season, it wasn't so much the case because United got pummeled most most weeks or most months. But this season, there have been a couple of pivotal games where he's been as much a, a match winner as the goal scorer. Uh, the, the West Ham game certainly springs to mind. Yesterday was was a huge one as well. And as you said, the quality of those two saves yesterday was was exceptional. Uh, I, I, in some ways, I know that the Ayo Nacho header was, it was, the ball was behind him when he clawed it back, but it didn't have too much pace on it. Uh, but the Barnes one, I'd, I'd argue he's not really got much for a right to save that, but not only does he actually you know, get his arm out to stop it, but he he gets it away out of, and and out of harm's way. And and sometimes that's that's the most important part of, of goalkeeping. It's not so much getting a hand onto the ball to stop in the shot, but you've got to ensure that it's not going to go anywhere near an opponent who could have a tap in. Now United have Barcelona on Thursday, Rich, in the second leg of that Europa League playoff at Old Trafford. 
after the the two two draw in what was a fantastic game um, at the Camp Nou, and it's Newcastle in the Red Bull final on the Sunday afternoon at Wembley. Uh, will not include Carabao because they've had far too many uh, name drops in this podcast so far. So, Rich, it's a huge week, isn't it? Really, those games are across what four days. Um, do you think it has the potential to be a, a season-defining week? Yeah, it did feel like this was a week not of like three cup finals for United, but very much a defining week in the season because if United had dropped points against Leicester, then there was a narrative that you know by the end of the week they could be out of Europe, they could still be trophyless, and it could be stretching now beyond six years. No idea when that's going to maybe come to an end. But having beat Leicester, it feels like there is a real optimism again. United know that they can go toe-to-toe with, with Barcelona. They'll be confident of replicating that performance on, on Thursday night. United probably go into that second leg as well, um, stronger than Barcelona do, considering they won't be uh, will have Pedri or Gavi available. And of course, from the first leg as well, United should have Martinez back and Casemiro so bits can play together finally. So it does feel like a, a huge week because, you know, if United they knock out Barcelona, the momentum only builds again and they really will feel like they can beat anyone. United will go into the knockout rounds of the, the Europa League as probably the favourites, despite coming through as, as second place in the group because they will have knocked out Barcelona who've just got the Champions League, La Liga leaders, and they just look irresistible at, at times now, Manchester United. Certainly, again, to look back at that Leicester game, that third goal was United at their very best. Just free-flowing, counter-attack and football, quality, quick interchange in a world-class finish to, to top it all off. And I feel like this week still feels very pivotal because, you know, two games can really affect the mood. And right now it feels very positive and you might get a bit happy-clappy and you can say, you know, I in a title race, you know, what, what else could happen this season? If they lose to Barcelona and then they play poorly in the cup final, it'll be doom and gloom again and it'll feel anticlimactic, which which isn't fair. I think that right now you've got to look at the season how it is and say that no matter what happens, it has been one of success really because getting into the Champions League for next season is bottom line what United targeted to do. That was the holy grail. Get the lucrative money back in the Champions League, get into the top competition again have it as that sort of bridge season and then next season and that's when you build upon it you try to close the gap even further uh, even closer sorry on the two teams above you and you, you make a proper title challenge so whatever happens this week I think you've got to accept that United have had a good season they have basically already achieved what they set out to do because after the weekend results it's not just United look good for top four they look good to finish third at the very least now and it's whatever happens on top of this is, is a bonus so I do think that Obviously, the results this week will shape the, the overall narrative of, of how successful United's season will be. Bottom line it is is that it has already been a success. But of course, if United can knock out Barcelona and then win a trophy at Wembley, that is an incredible, incredible week uh, for, for the football club and for Eric Ten Hag as well. Because United probably won't get loads of credit if they win the League Cup. Because, you know, it is still seen as sort of the second string domestic competition. But... United haven't won the trophies. They've had so many opportunities to do so and have failed to capitalise. So to actually go that one step further would be a huge sort of culture shift from, from the mediocrity of the last few years. Now, Friday the 17th uh, felt like a significant date this month because the Glazers set their soft deadline for formal takeover proposals to be submitted. Um, we obviously had two offers, one from Sheikh uh, Yassim from Qatar, and we also had Sir Jim Ratcliffe backing, coming in with the British bid. 
Um, we've talked at length at this podcast really with the guys about you know the, the takeover implications and the important points that need to be discussed uh, regarding Qatar, their records on human rights and homosexuality is still legal in their country and we'll continue to discuss it. But we thought it was a good idea, just before we get our teeth stuck into that really and talk about it again, to head down to Old Trafford to speak to some fans and to gauge their opinions. So here's what they had to say. Well, I think uh, let it be as it is. Emir is doing fine, and um, the caretakers are taking good care of them. Let them continue. Why should we have some new players to come in? Or new buyers to come in? Not new players, new buyers to come in. Well, if I have the money, I'll buy all Emir anytime. Obviously, we've got a lot of speculation around the ownership at Man United Football Club. I think the fans make it clear week in, week out that, you know, we want new owners in. Glazers, you know, as many of us know, put the club in a lot of debt, you know, and they've not really fund. Yeah, they've given us the players we want, we could say that, but it's it's not enough. Man United's a fan club. So I think, you know, the owners coming in, yeah, you know, we all take the mech out of City. But that's just fans for you. But I think it'll be good for Manchester United going forward. On the other hand, it'd be nice to have home owners, if that makes sense, you know, British owners. Not, I don't like all these foreign owners coming in because, you know, it just ends up getting all money talks, you know, players go, you know. I mean, look at Jack Grealish, 100 million, never, you know, Haaland. But, you know, game yesterday, it's proven, you know, we've got the squad. We're going forward places now. Thursday's going to be rocking. Coming over, maybe not knowing about the history of Man United and just building a whole new stadium and losing all the history and the really atmosphere of Old Trafford. But then uh, maybe Sir Jim Wright if came over, he might have a bit more of an idea of what the fans want instead of just throwing money at problems the way Manchester City have done and uh, fine players so they're being, being good obviously to have uh, more money in to buy players competing in the Champions League It's a tough one it's a tough one we've had a lot of it's been a hard couple of years prior but I think Ten Hag's come in and he's turned a corner for the club we're going in the right direction yeah some fans are saying Premier League maybe maybe I, I know I'm one that says if we keep going then there's nothing stopping us, you know, slip-ups are happening at the top of the table. All we've got to keep doing is winning. So, but the ownership, that'll all fall into place when it's all ready. But all, all us fans can keep doing is getting behind that club, pushing forward, and hopefully we bring some silverware on this weekend. Now, it's always great to hear what the fans have to say, and it is bound to be a divisive topic. So we'll now move on and discuss the bit itself. Officially, it is it would be interesting to see if anyone else does stick their head above the parapet, uh, whether being private about uh, this this process is actually more beneficial than being public. I was quite surprised that Sir Jim Ratcliffe wasn't the first to formally confirm that they'd they'd had a, uh, a, a that they'd made a bid, given that um, a spokesperson for Ineos had declared the interest in in, in buying uh, United uh, back in August, I think it was, and then there was another statement after the Glazers announced they were open to selling the club in November. It was two very different statements as well that were released by uh, Sheikh uh, Hassim bin Hamad Al-Tani, I, I believe that's his, his full name, 
and Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Uh, obviously, you know, the the first statement coming from Sheikh Hasim was quite comprehensive and uh, pr- probably ticked most of the most of, if not all, the right boxes for Manchester United fans. That the debt has been a bugbear ever since the Glazers took over the club in May two thousand and five. So the pledge to wipe that um, completely is is going to appeal to um, a lot of a lot of supporters, the majority of supporters. And with Sir Jim Ratcliffe's tone, it was interesting that there was a focus on um, the regulation in, in British football, which is, I believe that white paper is due in the House of Commons later this week. So the timing is, this soft deadline, I think the time, I think the timing of that and this white paper, they are coincidental, but they are, they are also inextricably linked. And look, you're not going to get an entire fan base to agree on who they want the owner to be I, I completely respect people's right to have an opinion on it I don't respect trolls bots uh, bigots uh, abusers which is what some people stoop to and also some people don't read properly quite frankly um, they will read pieces and they will they will look for something that isn't there and they'll run with that and look we, we, we have to have thick skins in this industry and fortunately of the interactions I receive on a daily basis, I don't think you can actually apply a fraction to how many of it I see because I just pretty much see none of it, which is good for me because I think it's just as well. Uh, I'd advise anyone in the industry who has a profile that gets to a certain level where they get a lot of traction to do that as well. Sometimes you've just got to treat it like water off a duck's back and this is going to be a very polarizing topic. Uh, the t- the likely takeover of Manchester United. Uh, geopolitics are involved, of course they are. Look, Sir Jim Ratcliffe is a billionaire. There aren't many many billionaires who get to where they are where they are uh, without being very ruthless individuals. Not not every billionaire is, is has got a heart of gold like like Bruce Wayne or something like that. I think if if Bruce Wayne was rewritten in this day and age there'd, there'd be you know some, some bodies buried not literally before anyone jumps to that conclusion but that's just how it works i mean ineos have, have uh, received criticism for, for fracking obviously it's a petrochemicals company uh, there have been accusations of greenwashing uh, ratcliffe lives in monaco so he avoids uh, paying taxes in the uk um and there was another point as well. He's also he also supported Brexit, and he's still uh, un, unrepentant about that. And obviously, Brexit has uh, I I believe it's it's been to the detriment of this country. I wasn't in favour of it. So uh, as I said, even if you may support someone, and I'm not declaring my allegiance to some Jim Ratcliffe at all because I'm a journalist, I've got to be an got to be impartial. But that's just an example of the nuance of the situation. And so there are pros and cons, but people are going to have a preference and you know it, it will be interesting to to hear those those vox pops um from old trafford that we've done and what other sites have done to to gauge what the mood is like among match goers i mean some of the abuse both for you guys have received over the last week's been disgusting nail on the head there sam very well said and there's no need for it is it there's some of the comments as you say people stoop to some abhorrent patrol really and it's it's really sad to say at a time where I guess fans should be united and, and, and celebrate and potentially something good and the Glazers leaving. Rich, if we look at the, the statements a bit closer then, uh, obviously Qatar want 100% of the club and Sir Jim, Sir Jim Ratcliffe would be looking at majority stake. 
do you think that has the potential to be important and as well looking at it a bit wider um do you think it's just going to be a case of kind of who bids the highest yeah off the glaciers do you think that's the way they're going to handle this process over the the coming months and weeks i mean if, if you're looking at it purely from a sort of business perspective from the glazer's point of view then the course has got to be an element of you want to take the the highest bidder really you want to make as much money out of manchester united as you can so there's always going to be that element to it as well of course the language used throughout the entire process has always been open to investment there's always been maybe not the elephant in the room but there's always been the caveat that it might not be a full sale obviously there is an understanding that would be preferable and that they can just take their money and leave and that's it the glazers of manchester united are no more but there's always still a sense that, you know, maybe they don't just have the, the full sale. Maybe it is only partial investment and they seek some extra funds to to help renovate the stadiums, help with the running costs of the club and they relinquish some power. So it is a, is a tricky one. I suppose that since the soft deadline now, in the coming weeks ahead, we should get some more clarity on, on exactly who is still in the running, what it is they have actually offered to do, how much of the club they want. And it still is almost sort of that Dragon's Den pitch sort of uh, time now where they're trying to weigh up what everyone else can offer, how much they can they can give away. And yeah, I think there is always going to be an element of you can just sell and that's it. You know, you don't have to deal with the club anymore. You don't have to run the club anymore. You make a big profit off your leverage buyout of the club anyway. And it's a new era at Manchester United. But there's a reason why the Glazers have held on to the club for so long. It's because they enjoy, they, they like having the, the club. They enjoy having the, the power of it all. And they might seem disinterested as owners and not invest their own money in it. But there is a bit of clout to saying you own Manchester United, arguably the, the biggest football club in the world. You still get your dividend payments and you still profit from the club personally. So there's a lot of different cogs involved in it all. But it was interesting, like you said, the two sort of contrasting statements there. And you can see, I mean, to, to remove any sort of partisan opinions and to, to boil it down to what was there in black and white on paper, you can see why lots of fans would be interested in, in what Qatar were promising because they were ticking every box of what Manchester United fans would want. They want to have the most successful team on the pitch. They want a stadium that is is new and is elite and leads the way in, in football. And they, they want the training ground as well to, to be renovated as well. And there's an ambition from, from both parties to make Manchester United successful again. I thought Jim Ratcliffe made a good point though he he emphasized that he wants United to be winning champions leagues again and that was always something that was maybe held against even the great united teams that they just didn't win enough in europe so that is maybe looking at it from i suppose a legacy fans point of view i mean you can say you want to win the champions leagues but it's going to effectively be the super league in a few years and a completely different competition as well so it's it's an interesting one there are sort of two sort of divides I think that there are probably fans who are still in the middle and haven't really made their mind up on who they'd like to take charge. But I guess ultimately, bottom line is the fans don't decide anyway who 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 takes over the club. Yes, you can have a preference. Yes, there might be one party you're aligned with. But at the end of the day, it's not the fans' decision to decide who buys Manchester United. In terms of how the process moves forward, then Samuel, obviously we've had the soft deadline there on Friday and we've just basically said it at this point, unless someone else comes in, it is a, a two-horse race. What kind of happens now then? You've talked about the data room and uh, your articles, obviously, they look at the financial information. How does the process move forward and when could we expect an announcement, for example? Is, or fans will be hoping before the summer. Is that realistic? I, I think that is realistic. The, the way it was phrased 
to me was that the, the bids at the moment are only indicative and it will be once all the uh, bidders are, are confirmed and they can get into the latter stages of the process that um, someone told to me they'll they'll go into a data room where they'll be able to see all the relevant financial information and then they can thrash out whatever deal they want there if you know, if, if, if they're going to proceed with it, if they're not going to proceed with it. Um, I, I think if it is a two-horse race, which is what it's shaping up to be, then you'd imagine both of them are, are going to be in this uh, to, to the bitter end. Uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, has, that, that's been his character all, all his life. Uh, if he wants something, he will do his utmost to get it. So I don't really see anyone conceding early at, at this stage. Um, so, yeah, I think when it gets to that that point where all the bids have been submitted and they're in this data room as as you mentioned there uh they've they'll they'll be able to understand uh, the value of assets the debts etc uh so there's there's a lot to write about it at the moment there may be a relatively quiet period now while they go through all the the numbers and then you've, we might eventually get a, a clear idea of, of who the next owners of Manchester United are going to be. I, I, it still wouldn't surprise me if the Glazers do somehow um, cling on or have some involvement with the club, but you've you've got two very big hitters who have declared their interest and have publicly that declared their interest, so the likelihood would be a complete sale at this point. Um, and yeah, as I said, it, it just, it might be, a little quiet for a period now because uh, the, the soft deadline has passed. The two names have, have come out of the woodwork, although Ratcliffe came out of the woodwork a number of months ago. And uh, it maybe maybe our lives will be a little bit easier just just focusing on the football. It's it's you know it's it's a different field altogether when you're getting into takeover chatter, and it's it's a almost a bit of a reversal with 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 Chelsea and that. They had to be part of the sale because of um, an illegal war that was that was started by Russia. And in terms of the ethics and the morals of it, uh, given what Roman Abramovich had got into with with Vladimir Putin, uh, you couldn't really get much worse than that. Uh, especially some of the scenes that uh, we we saw on the news and continue to see on the news in in Ukraine. And it was, I mean, it was last year. It was it was depressing that you still had. Chelsea fans um, chanting Abramovich's name when they they really ought to have known better. Samuel just mentioned if we look at on-field then again, Rich, just to wrap it up, do you think this will affect on-field performance over the next week, so the next month? I know Ten Hag kind of talked about it, didn't he? Um, Do you think it has the potential to affect the players' mindsets or how plans will be kind of thought about for the summer? I mean, Victor Lindelof said after the game yesterday that they've not really given it any attention yet because the schedule is so intense. It's just been so focused heavily on the matches that that they haven't thought about it yet and they've not maybe discussed it. I mean, you'd expect that they're certainly aware of, of what is happening and, you know, particularly that they, there they maybe will be behind the scenes some sort of discussion internally between them and their WhatsApp groups, etc. But, you know, they are footballers and they are paid to play football and right now that is their primary focus. So I, I don't think so. I think it is, again, a, another testament for, for Ten Hag and over test for him as well going forward to, to keep the players focused on, on the task in hand. I mean, he will inevitably be asked the questions and there might be some awkward questions as well in the weeks ahead, to, you know, about the, the takeovers and the possible sort of implications of that as well. So I think it is something that the, the players will will be certainly aware of. But, 
you can understand why everyone at the club at the moment is just giving you the sort of boring answers. The questions have to be asked and they have to be answered, but you can understand why everyone internally is, is perhaps just batting away the, the 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 chance to talk about it by just giving straight answers of you know we're focused on the football we'll move on and they'll discuss it when something's more formal as well because you've also got to remember that at this stage it is so early on that you can't be coming out either sort of making anything too firm a statement because it is just so so early and it can affect the the entire sort of balance of, of the club at the moment. And for United, they will very much want to ensure that over the coming weeks, it is the football that, that takes centre stage and continues to be talked about because right now they are on to, to something good. And I think Ten Hag and his players do deserve that to be a, a primary uh, sort of subject matter of discussion. But of course, the, the elephant in the room is this takeover, the likely takeover of Manchester United. So I guess it is just a case of waiting and, and seeing what happens and taking any updates from there. It's never dull, that's for sure, <laughs> on the bright side of things. But I think we'll wrap up there. Um, I'm off to go count my check for my Carabao name dropping. The Again, there's another one. Is that six or seven? Just wait till Friday's podcast ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much, Samuel. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Rich. Thank you very much. Although you still haven't sung happy birthday. So do you want to go ahead? No, I'm okay. <laughs> I'll do the Victor Lindelof. I'm okay. I'm focused on the football. Very diplomatic answer, of course. And thank you very much to listeners, as usual. Head across to our YouTube, where we're plowing on subscribers. Like, comment, and complain that Rich did not sing happy birthday. Take care.